Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hi, ladies. How are you? Hi. Oh my gosh. Hello. Hello. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Oh, you guys, this is a really exciting one. I have been following Dr. Brooke for, gosh, I don't know. It feels like forever. And I'm so excited to have her on today just because I really want to ask you so many questions. (laughs) Like, as I've been kind of like studying up and like reminding myself on everything that you do, I was like making so many notes over the last couple of weeks. So I'm excited. But I'll go ahead and do a little intro here. Dr. Brooke Scheller is a doctor of clinical nutrition, author, and the founder of Functional Sobriety, a nutrition-based program for alcohol reduction. After finding freedom from alcohol in 2021, Dr. Brooke took her experience in sobriety and applied her expertise in nutrition and functional medicine to help others change their relationship with alcohol. After working with executives, celebrities, and so many successful clients, she recognized a glaring gap in the wellness space, overconsumption of alcohol. Her approach involves including brain health, mood, energy, focus, gut health, hormone balance, all the things that none of us knew that alcohol affected. <laughs> or, <laughs> and chose yeah. or, or, or chose, or chose to, ignore. to ignore. Or chose to ignore. Right. Yeah. And her um, book is available for pre-order, which is so exciting. And it's going to be called How to Eat to Change How You Drink. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. Where do we start? Well, first of all, thanks for having me here. I'm excited <laughs> to speak about this topic. I mean... I can talk about this like until the end of time. So I'm excited (laughs) that you have questions and I'm happy to share my experience and share my story. And uh, I'm hoping that all of the listeners gain some things to take away with them today. Yeah, this is so exciting. And I mean, I know I just said this, but there is really a massive gap in the, the being able to use nutrition and food and supplements especially when you've stopped drinking. Like I just, I remember when I found you and I just thought to myself, if I had had this back in 2020 and knew this information about how to, how to like help with those energy slumps and all the things and all the hormonal change and when all the neurochemicals are rebalancing, oh my gosh, it's just so valuable what you're doing. So thank you again for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And it's so interesting how life works and like life unfolds, right? Because you know, you mentioned 2020. And when I think about 2020, I was like in the midst of, you know, getting to the worst of my drinking, the worst it had ever been. I I got sober in June of 2021. And I often when I share about that story, you know, so many people were affected by the pandemic and how it increased their drinking. And I always liken it to you know, my drinking was probably like uh, the pot on the back burner of the stove and it was like simmering and like Mm -hmm. the pandemic kind of like cranked up the heat and now the pot's kind of boiling over. Like I was carrying around dysfunctional alcohol use behaviors for at least 10 years prior to that. And it was really the pandemic that brought me to my knees in the sense of, and I think so many people share this experience that, you know, our, our lifestyles change. There was a lot of isolation, you know, we're working from home for parents, they're homeschooling. The stress was so much higher than we've ever experienced it before. And, you know, for me, it wasn't, I didn't have like a, you know, a rock 
traditional rock bottom in the sense, like nothing horrible happened. I didn't have, you know, a DUI. I didn't lose a job. I didn't actually quit my job because I was sick of it and was trying to start my own business, which all has worked out beautifully, you know, in the story of sobriety. But, you know, for me, it was more like the culmination of a long time of um, many years of experiencing anxiety and depression and discontentment with my life. And I really knew no other way than besides to drinking. So it was really the only thing I knew. And once I took that away, I really broke down a lot of the barriers that I felt like had been holding me back for so long. And you know, I'm just so grateful for my experience in sobriety. And it's it's why I like to share my story and why I've really moved everything that I do to be around helping others explore an alcohol-free life because it has been so transformative to me and so many people that I know. Yeah. One of my um, favorite parts of the way that you tell your story is that you had all these degrees and you had all these certifications and you had even authored part of a textbook right about about <laughs> this subject while still drinking which I think is so mm -hmm. awesome because it just shows mm -hmm. and this is so valuable so valuable for a client the clients that need and I coach right that you can know all the things you can have all the knowledge I mean you had all the knowledge in the world and it was still you were still drinking yeah I felt like I was living a double life for a long time and I always share that in my story because I did have all these advanced degrees in nutrition and meanwhile alcohol is a macronutrient like alcohol when we drink alcohol it's metabolized like a food or or drink would be right so it's really it's a nutrition topic you know I really for a long time felt like I was trying to prove that I could drink and, you know, be healthy at the same time. And as so many people do that are interested in, in health and wellness and nutrition, you know, do all the detoxes and take all the supplements and drink the juices and exercise more and say like, oh, well, this, you know, this is going to reverse everything that I'm doing to my body with alcohol. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is that alcohol is so damaging and toxic to our bodies that we really aren't able to get ahead. We're doing more harm than we are good when we're drinking. And it's really difficult, especially when we're using alcohol unhealthily, which, you know, there's no, there's many definitions of what that might be, unhealthy alcohol use. But, you know, basically what I like to, to explain to people is if you feel like your drinking is holding you back in any way, you feel like you're sick of hangovers, you you know, have times that you regret drinking, you accidentally have too many drinks, you know, you only meant to have one and you ended up having five. That's enough to say that you want to stop drinking. Yeah. You know, you don't have to fall into any type of category to decide that it's not serving you and that you don't want to, to feel that way anymore. And that's the yeah. exciting part about it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. And you yeah, touched and on I something... Sorry, I was ahead. just going to say, yeah, I was writing this textbook chapter on nutrition and supplementation for substance use disorders. And when I tell this story, you know, I was I was an adjunct professor for a university and their kind of teacher group got together to write this book because they have an addiction studies program through this complementary health program that they're running. And for me, it was you know, was an opportunity that it wasn't something I was getting paid to do. It was something that was more like an opportunity to be published in a textbook and all of these things. And, you know, I really didn't realize how, like, in the full scheme of things, 
how that would eventually like impact how I shifted my whole life and career months later. And it actually published in June of 2021, which was the same month I got sober. And I didn't get sober because it was the time that the book got published. So it was kind of an ironic kind of serendipitous moment, if you will. But it really started that experience and that project really, you know, when the dust started to settle from my mental fog from getting sober, I realized, oh, my gosh, like I wrote the book on this. I wrote the book <laughs> on this and like yeah. nobody's talking about it. And so like yeah. it, it has to be shared with the world. Like there's so much, you know, that people can gain from utilizing these tools as part of their journey. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. So what I mean, I, I know this, this we could talk about this forever and ever, but in the in the very beginning, right, of of ditching alcohol, like what are some of your like top tips, like top level things that you tell your clients and the women that you work with that can help them the most to get out of that haze that you mentioned? Because that yeah. was me. I was just like, I literally felt like a zombie and like I needed to nap for about a good month mm -hmm. when I was going through that. Yeah. And that's really normal and natural, to be honest, Christy, because especially, you know, and it's going to vary depending on how often we were drinking, how much we were drinking, what else is going on in our bodies. So, for example, what our diet looks like aside from that, are we getting enough nutrition? Are we eating more junk food, a lot of sugar or, you know, like how are our nutrient levels? Because alcohol really depletes a lot of our important nutrients, things like vitamin D and all of our B vitamins and magnesium and iron, all those things we need to feel good. Alcohol wipes them all out right? Yeah. That's part of the vicious cycle of, well, I feel crappy, so I'm going to drink again. But, you know, one of the biggest things that I share with people and part of the reason why I, I started my online community, the Functional Sobriety Network, a little over a year ago in June of 2022 was, you know, I think community is a massive, massive way for people to to start on this journey. You know, nutrition is a huge support, but I wouldn't have been able to do this you know, even having some of the knowledge without finding other people that I could surround myself with that not only I could learn from, but actually mm. showed me how to live a sober life and how to make it through difficult events and make it through stressful times without alcohol. And that can look like any type of community from, you know, the many ones that exist online today to things like AA to you know, even finding community through Instagram, which is something that so many people have done. And we didn't have access to, you know, even just a few years ago, people weren't having these conversations on a broad scale like this. So finding community is a huge one because you want to find people that don't need to drink with you. Because unfortunately, if we're drinkers, chances are we've probably surrounded ourselves with other people that drink just like we do. And yeah. it's really hard to quit drinking if we're still going to keep hanging out with those people that we always drank with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So That's a huge one um, to focus on. And, you know, when it comes to nutrition, there's a lot of really simple things that we can do without having to overhaul our diet because, you know, I shy away from people, you know, getting sober and also going keto and starting a, you know, fitness challenge and, a meditation practice and doing everything at once, right? Because it is, you know, we want to keep the focus on, you know, that one thing that's most important. 
And, you know, sometimes when we go all in, we can go all out very quickly, too. Yeah, so true. Yeah. But there's a couple of things that I suggest. And one of them is, you know, even just eating on a more consistent basis. So having something to eat every three to four hours, making sure you have protein at every single meal and snack. That is one of my go-to, if you've ever heard any of my other podcasts, my posts and things, I post a lot about just the simplicity of, you know, making sure that each meal is, is you know, providing you a support for your blood sugar. This is going to play a really big role in eliminating cravings, not only for alcohol, but also for things like sugar, which is the other big concern that people have when they're in sobriety. So, you know, our, our nature might not be to, you know, to focus on having protein at every single meal when we're getting sober, but that simple recommendation can help us kind of fight those willpower kind of feelings that we might have later in the day. And so even something like an afternoon snack is huge because that trigger time that we get in the afternoon, that 4, 5, 6 p.m. kind of witching hour, if you will. Sometimes that is simply hunger because we haven't eaten in several hours. Maybe we haven't eaten since lunchtime or we had a high-carbohydrate afternoon snack to give us a little pick-me-up. And now we're in this blood sugar slump, which then manifests as a craving for alcohol. Right. So yeah. just that simple kind of snack at the time when we would normally have a drink, you'd be surprised with how much that can really distract you and distract not only your mind, but your body and your blood sugar to make it easier to say no to a glass of wine at that tricky time. Yeah. I was just thinking I wanted to highlight this, too, because I think this is so I'm I have several clients faces in my mind as as you were saying all of that, <laughs> Me too. Um, you know, where yeah. it's like you know, the, they don't want to have cravings. They've started this journey. They're excited about starting. And maybe they've even gotten some time where they're, they've been alcohol free and they're like, oh crap. Now I'm having thoughts of drinking, you know, and whether you want to call it an urge or a craving or whatever you want to call it. Now I'm having these thoughts and I'm thinking about how, you know, we always talk about the stories that keep us stuck in the way that like we're, okay, if I'm having this craving, this must mean I'm doing something wrong. Or maybe that's one of my stories or I'm, I'm having this craving that must mean that I really want to drink or, you know, and so we say, get curious, like tune into what are you experiencing? What are you feeling? And I think what you've talked about and what you've hit on with this blood sugar and that time of day, and I can look back on my journey and go, I mean, absolutely the blood sugar being such a huge piece of this. Like, what if we could pause in that moment and go, maybe it is, maybe I'm really just, of course I'm craving wine. Of course I'm thinking about wine. My body is looking for a some quick source glucose. Yeah. Yep. Yes, yes, for energy, which also then being able to celebrate your brain is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. So it doesn't have to set off these like alarm bells for people that I think sometimes can get them, you know, set them back and make them feel discouraged on their journey. And so, yeah, I love what you, you know, speak to with having a protein, having those like snacks and even doing that. By, I tell my clients to do that before that craving, that thought comes mm -hmm. so that yeah, we're already supported on that. And so um, yeah. I just wanted to kind of like highlight the, yeah, reframing that as, okay, maybe it is blood sugar. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where even simple tools of, you know, looking at making a meal schedule can be mm -hmm. beneficial. Like this is 
it's almost like nutrition 101. Like we're all like, oh, yeah, 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 I can, you know, I, I should have a snack in the afternoon, those types of things. But one practice I do with a lot of my clients, and I do this in my online programs, is really sit down and write down, okay, I wake up at 6 a.m. You know, I always suggest having breakfast within an hour of waking up because that sets up, sets you up for a good stable blood sugar throughout the day. I shy against advising intermittent fasting, especially in the beginning of an alcohol-free journey because there are so many cortisol imbalances, hormone imbalances that can be present and it can actually make it harder. It can make those cravings stronger. So I, I, I know sometimes people are trying to do that from weight loss perspective or thinking that it's, you know, benefiting them. But if, if you have tried that and you are struggling, it may just be a sign that, you know, going back to the idea that breakfast is the most important meal of the day kind of thing. Yeah. And then sitting down and working out your schedule every three to four hours and going to have a meal or a snack. So, you know, if I have breakfast at seven, I'm going to have lunch at noon. I'm going to have an afternoon snack at four and I'm going to have dinner at seven. Right. And putting that into your calendar, writing that down, you know, during the day, looking at your schedule ahead of time to say, okay, I'm not going to skip that snack because I know it's really going to help me get through the end of the day without having a drink. And it's really about focusing, you know, the work that I do is looking at more of the biochemical, the physiological part of what's going on in the body, because so much of it now we're looking at triggers, we're looking at, and sure, 5 p.m. is usually a stressful time of day, right? It's maybe it's the end of a work day, maybe it's you know, oh. the family is all coming home and there's a lot of things happening. But at the same time, in addition to that stress, we have to think about what's going on in the body. And is that is the body either setting us up for success in that moment or is it actually going to make it more challenging for us to get through that moment because we're in this state of stress, essentially mm. physical stress? Yeah, yeah, that's so good. It's and the second you you started saying like make a a food diary, right? I also think doing this work that we've all done, right? We like the first thing I think of is like all the diets, right? And all the times mm -hmm. that we you know did try uh. to like go on the super restrictive plan to lose weight and whatever, but like coming to it from this angle and doing this for your mental health, right? And the and and making choices, and this is what me and I talk about till we're blue in the face, right? Making choices based on how we want to feel. And I think eliminating alcohol because you know it makes you feel better when you're not drinking it, like you have to obviously take it all one step further and like, okay, well now here's what you can ingest, eat, whatever, instead to, can, you know, fully support feeling better. And that's why I think it's just so awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's funny that you say that because everybody cringes at the idea of a food diary and trust yeah. <laughs> me, I'm a doctor of nutrition and I'm the last person that wants to do a food diary. Like, I get yeah. it. It's horrible. It's not fun. But really looking at it as like um informational yeah. purpose, like you're really doing this to understand more about your body and gain more information about your own personal body. And so it's not about you know, try to eliminate the the old school ideas of calories and, you know, counting things and being really restrictive. It's it's not about restriction whatsoever. It's really just about I want to get really comfortable and knowing and understanding my body and how it works. And that information is going to make it much easier for me mm -hmm. to feel exactly like you said, Christy, the way that I want to feel. 
Because if I know that X, you know, certain patterns of eating or certain foods that I have or certain, you know, if I skip breakfast, that it makes my cravings worse later in the day, then that's knowledge, right? That knowledge is power and I can make a decision based upon it. So I always tell people, you know, even if you were to do these kind of things, journaling, writing things down and, you know, looking at patterns for even if it's three, four, five days, doesn't have to be forever, but you can gain a lot of information about your protein intake, about your fiber intake, about your nutrient intake. So it is really beneficial information, but you don't have to do it forever and feel like it has to be a chore. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Can we talk as someone that's freshly into perimenopause over here? (laughs) So much fun. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because I... Well, I think now, obviously, that we're all not drinking, right? You're so more, so much more in tune to your body. Obviously, mm-hmm. we get to recognize how we're feeling. Uh, like, I don't even think I probably would have realized I was in perimenopause if I was still drinking, to be honest, because I never mm-hmm. knew what was going on with me on that front. But can you talk a little bit about alcohol and how it interferes with hormones and as women and how it affects us differently and all of that? Meet, are you going to jump in? I was going to say, this is going to yeah. be a really stupid question, but there are probably people out here that are maybe asking, hopefully asking the same things. Can we define perimenopause? I don't know if I'm in it or not. Can we talk about what that means? I'm so happy you asked that. Yeah, let's talk about that. Great question. Great questions all around. The first thing I will preface with and say is kind of how you started off the podcast too, Christy, with like, I love to talk about all of the ways that alcohol does affect the body that we aren't necessarily really aware of. Um, yeah. And hormones is one of those big things. I And I think you guys had listened to the podcast with Wendy where we had spoken a lot about hormones. And, you know, it's not necessarily something that we think, you know, put directly the two and two together. And for so long, I think the only thing that people thought about alcohol is that it affected the liver, right? It's like, yep. oh, yes, if you drink too much alcohol, you can get cirrhosis of the liver. Like, that's what we all thought, right? And then I'll say to people, okay, well, what does the liver do? And they're like, uh, it's a sponge, right? Like, we know a couple of things about the liver. Yes, it's this big kind of detox organ. It helps to metabolize foods and and toxins and medications and, you know, any kind of foreign matter that comes into our body. But what people don't understand about the liver is that it's very, plays a really big role in things like hormone production and hormone management and and regulation of hormone levels in our body. And so this is something that, you know, when we start to think of, you know, almost that secondary layer, like, okay, yes, alcohol affects the liver. Well, what does that mean? It means anything that the liver does is affected by alcohol, right? And, you know, when it comes to hormones, it's one of those topics that it's such a confusing topic. And meet. that's why you asked the question of like, what is perimenopause? And perimenopause is really the stage before you're in like truly what's, I'll say, quote unquote, diagnosed as menopause. So you're at that stage where hormone levels are starting to change. They're maybe starting to decline. Women oftentimes start experiencing some of those early symptoms. Maybe it's hot flashes. Maybe it's periods are starting to become irregular. And that kind of frame of time can happen really anywhere from the mid to late 30s into the late 40s, which is then when menopause is traditionally happening in that kind of early 
late 40s, early 50s kind of time frame. And a lot of that is just identified by if hormone levels are measured. Mm. When we start to see them changing in alignment with menopause, where you see, you know, drops in normal hormone production, perimenopause is kind of that stage before where you're starting to experience some of the symptoms of menopause, but aren't necessarily in that defined menopause or postmenopausal hormone range. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I, how do we know if we, I don't know, like I'm done having kids, I think, but I mean, <laughs> but. <laughs> I'm yes. not menopausal. I don't spare you, know, you so. the graphic details of how I know this is happening. To yeah. Me. Well, and, and that's like, so like, is it just any time after you're done having babies before menopause? Or is it like a, you know, when things are starting to change and you're noticing symptoms? Because I can think about how that could mm-hmm. be so, uh, it just compounds. Yes. What we're doing, you know. Uh, yeah. So, yes, please. And, and in some ways, you know, to challenge the traditional medical system. In some ways, it's kind of this blanket diagnosis for, well, your hormones are starting to change. We don't really have any better explanation as to why. So we're going to say that you're in perimenopause, like you're you're getting to the point where hormones are changing. They're not as regular as they were when maybe you were in your peak fertility years. And again, you're starting to experience those symptoms. So here's the big thing to understand is that you know, we believe and we have been kind of bred to believe that menopause is this, for lack of a better word, shit show, excuse me, mm-hmm. of like yeah. everything goes haywire, the, you know, the sex drive goes down and we're sweating all the time. And there's this, you know, these massive, massive changes that are happening in, in mood and anxiety and all these different things, weight gain. However, that isn't necessarily, you know, how things should be, Right. That happens oftentimes when there are other things going on in the body that are putting additional stress on our system and are making these kind of normal fluctuations in hormones manifest as this kind of screaming exaggeration of Mm -hmm. irregularity, right? So in a similar way with perimenopause, I would say that we don't necessarily, and the reason why some women don't have that diagnosis or don't ever know if they've gone through that phase is just simply because your symptom you didn't necessarily have symptoms that went along with that now because alcohol plays a really big role in the liver and how we metabolize and produce hormones and even eliminate hormones from the system you know drinking can have an impact on hormones in the sense of how we experience or go through those different phases The thing is that everybody's body is different, right? So some people who maybe have have stress on their liver from drinking, that might manifest for some people as GI disruptions. It might manifest as IBS or, you know, some type of inflammatory situation in the gut where maybe they develop Crohn's. For another person, it might manifest as hormone imbalances. And again, this has to do with just the complexity of what's going on in the body as a whole and that every single one person isn't exactly the same. This stuff is so fascinating. And when you were just talking about this, I was thinking about how I recently went into my GP. I live in London and we were chatting and I was like, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you? Oh, my gosh, I gave up drinking. And she was like, oh, I didn't realize you had a problem. And I just thought to myself, you're my doctor. Like, shouldn't you the first like reaction be, 
give me a high five or a, a hug or something. Like, right. right. Like when we know to what extent it affects us and what like all of the things that it can display as it's just it feels like it should be a no brainer for anybody that's oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's what that's what I try <laughs> to share with people now is like if you yeah. had any type of health condition or health goal or health challenge and you're drinking, even if it doesn't seem like drinking is affecting it, drinking is not helping it, right? Because basically what happens is alcohol is a toxic substance. It becomes the priority for metabolism from our body. So basically the body puts a pause on all of these other normal processes that should be happening in order Mm. to eliminate alcohol. Because if alcohol is not eliminated, it causes damage to the system, right? So one of the ways, and to to tie that back into hormones, one of my favorite ways to explain this when it relates to hormones and reproductive system is that the reproductive system is the only system in the body that you can completely remove it and still live. You can't remove the cardiovascular system. You can't remove the neurological system. You can't remove the respiratory system. You can have a full hysterectomy and, and survive. You might have some symptoms because of that, but you can go on living a mostly normal life. So what that means is that when the body is in a state of stress, the first thing that it's going to deprioritize is your hormones and your reproduction. Because when you're in a stress, stressed state, you do not need to reproduce, right? Yeah. And that's also how alcohol can impact things like fertility, which is another big one that people don't necessarily think of or directly tie those two things together. They think, well, once I'm pregnant, I'm supposed to stop drinking. But there was actually some really great research that came out in 2021 that showed that alcohol use affects fecundability. So basically how the egg implants inside the uterus and decreased fecundability with alcohol use, especially around ovulation. So if you are drinking alcohol around that time of ovulation, it's going to decrease your risk or your risk of getting pregnant, your ability to get pregnant. So that's another thing to consider if that's something that you've been experiencing, how alcohol is maybe playing a role in that. Oh, my gosh. It's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. I know. It's like so fun. This is the stuff I love. I know. I, I know. I'm passionate about it. And I, I know. I, I always do this. And we have someone I'm so excited to talk. Like, I want to learn and listen. And oh, I, I know. engage in conversation. Just keep talking. Tell me all the good stuff. <laughs> so fascinating. Yeah. You know, it's, it's again, one of those things that we just, we've never spoken about it as, as a broader society, as a broader population. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we looked, we've looked at some of these you know, kind of main ways that, again, alcohol affects the liver, causes some of these specific kind of symptoms, even as it relates to nutrition, kind of the earliest study nutrient deficiency associated with alcohol use is a deficiency in vitamin B1, which is also called thiamine. And this happens in heavy alcohol users where they deplete out their B1, and it can cause psychosis and neurological symptoms, right? And it's something they call wet brain. It's also, you know, referred to as quote unquote wet brain and is also called Wernicke's encephalopathy, right? For for the scientific nerds out there who want to look it up like me. <laughs> but 
That is just one example of a nutrient that is depleted with alcohol use, right? Yeah. So it's funny because I, I often talk about on, you know, on socials, you know, B12 and vitamin C and vitamin D and magnesium, like all of these other nutrients that nowadays have so much more relevance. And people say, well, you know, of, and don't forget about B1. And it's like, B1 is in a lot of foods. Vitamin D is like, it's just because the research is still catching up with looking at how that's really impacting, you know, someone's health over the long term from a vitamin D status, which alcohol, you know, if we look at it from this sense, alcohol is very notorious for reducing vitamin D levels, which, as so many of us know, it's a concern across the entire population, vitamin D deficiency. Yeah. And vitamin D deficiency is also associated with depression. And what do so many people experience when they're drinking on a regular basis? They're experiencing depression, right? Mm -hmm. And so these are the things that we need to consider when we are going through that recovery process. And, you know, I'm like a really big nerd about lab testing. So I love doing blood work and neurotransmitter testing and hormone testing. Stool testing is my favorite thing to... The, I don't perform yeah. the stool test. Um, so like, I don't have to like, I'm not like, you know, definitely yeah. doing sorting the through. Yeah, sorting through it. If you, but the information <laughs> is really fascinating, right? Like when you can look at and see, like, it's so one of the really interesting things about stool tests is a lot of times I'll have clients come in and they'll be like, oh, I've been taking a probiotic for five years and then, you know, I still have all these digestive problems. And then their stool test comes back and they have no probiotic growth whatsoever. And it's like, well, you know, they have these other maybe imbalances going on. And because of that, they're pro they're basically like probiotics aren't like sticking. Right. They're not really yeah. being effective. So this is why testing can be really beneficial. And, you know, because even vitamin D, for example, you can have that. You can ask your doctor to run that next time you go to your primary care doc. And if that level is low, you can then take supplements and start to get that level back up. But if you, you know, have a vitamin D deficiency and you also experience depression, sure, you could, you know, take a, a antidepressant medication or something along those lines. But you really do want to support these other important nutrients that are playing a role in that as well. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about how we talk about a lot or or we come into maybe the alcohol-free journey and I'm reminded of a conversation I had with a client the other day where it's you know we're talking about okay we're focused on not doing the thing like we know okay we know that we have the knowledge alcohol is not serving me it's certainly not making me feel the way I want to feel I want to do something about this and so our focus is on not doing the thing but I love what you bring to this in its in a sense and whether you drink alcohol or not we can talk about a way of turning more towards the abundance of like, what are the things that do nourish us and yeah. setting ourselves up from a, you know, foundational, just overall nourished place kind of first. And then, yeah. you know, what is getting in the way of that? Not that you have to do it first or second or whatever, but kind of leaning more towards that. This is something, and this is something I enjoy now having been alcohol free for, you know, almost three, almost four years. I get to think about how I'm going to nourish my body versus the old way of like, 
what I have to do to undo mm-hmm. the damage I've done to my body. And so, so I think about the person like me who is interested in supporting, supporting myself it, it just in a good way, whether it's starting the journey or after the journey. What are some of the very, I mean, I know with testing, we can get very specific on what, what you need, but what are some of like the basic things that you would recommend for people to start with, like with a supplement or a certain food that would be beneficial kind of across the board? I know everybody's different and what they might need, but yeah, what would be your recommendation for that? Yeah. So first I'll just share that you kind of hit the nail on the head there when you mentioned that it's never, you're never at the wrong point to start to address this. So you could be two weeks alcohol free and decide you want to dive into this. You could be two years, four years alcohol free and say, you know, what's going on in my body and whether it's still an impact of alcohol, you know, is up for debate, I think. But it's never too late to say, hey, I want to look deeper into what's going on in my body and know that using nutrition and supplementation can be a really beneficial way to repair or improve the challenges you're experiencing or support the goals that you have for your health, right? So maybe you don't have a a diagnosis or something very serious, and that's great. But if you do have maybe some low mood episodes or you have low energy or you have, you know, any hormone imbalances going on and you want to look a little bit deeper into that, you know, I love doing testing because it does give you more of that information. And, you know, you don't have to work with a practitioner like me to, to do all of that. You can ask, again, your primary care doctor for things like vitamin D testing you know, asking them about other nutrients. So looking at B12, looking at folate, which are two nutrients that are really important for mood health, for serotonin and dopamine production in the brain, you know, asking for things like magnesium to be tested, which magnesium is a great one to supplement. That's kind of a great across the board one to supplement with because about 70% of the population is magnesium deficient. There's a couple of reasons why that happens. But magnesium is one of our minerals that is a relaxant. And what are we all today? We're all stressed and we're all overwhelmed (laughs) and we're all kind of overstimulated, right? And so magnesium helps to boost some of our pathways in the body that help us relax and help us sleep. And so taking a magnesium supplement night before bed, I usually recommend magnesium citrate, especially if you experience any type of constipation or could use support with bowel regularity, magnesium citrate can be a good supplement to incorporate on that end. And so again, it's, you know, starting to dive into this and really, you know, from a food perspective, aside from the protein recommendations and, you know, structuring your meal kind of around protein, one of the best things that you can do is just eat more veggies. And I know it sounds like such a kind of basic recommendation, but veggies are a great source of fiber. Fiber is going to help feed that good probiotic bacteria in the gut. It's going to, again, help with bowel regularity. And, you know, we we often don't think about the impact of our gut microbes on things like our mental health. They do have a direct impact on mood, on energy, on the brain. And so, you know, it's not just about digestion, but it's also about supporting these other areas of the body too. And some of my favorite recommendations for functional foods, functional veggies, which are veggies that have kind of these additional benefits to them, 
are things like the cruciferous. So broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, Brussels sprouts, arugula. These are all great for the gut, also really good for the liver and supporting liver waste removal pathways and kind of some of that healing from alcohol use. So I actually recommend cruciferous veggies at least a serving a cup or so a day for every client. And that's one of the things that just about everybody can implement. It's pretty easy to do, and it's going to provide you with a lot of those nutrients that are going to support, again, the gut, the brain, and all these areas that we have goals around. Well, one of the things that I, I think is also so interesting that I've heard you talk about before, and then we can go into our, our tiny new action. And obviously, it's, it's because of all the things that alcohol it contributes to with our health, but one of the things that I think is so fascinating and that clients ask me like all the time is why can't I, you know, I can't drink as much as I used to be able to. And obviously the hangovers are a lot worse. And so I'd love for you to just say like, you know, speak to that of why we, why, why our tolerance basically is shot when we're kind of in, in our thirties and forties. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think there's, there's probably a few different schools of thought on this. The first thing that comes to mind for me is that, you know, when we're young, we have less of a lifetime of exposure to toxins and stressors and, you know, things that add stress internally to our body. The older we get, the more we have things like inflammation. We have, you know, we have increasing amount of, of stress on the body that we don't metabolize anything like we do when we're in our 20s, right? Because our body is just compounded by stressors, right? Yeah. And so our liver has, you know, if we've been drinking for 20 years, think of the amount of stress that that has put on the liver that we don't metabolize things like we did the first time they were coming through. You know, even, for example, our lymphatic system, which is, is really one of our body's main drainage systems, you know, over time, it can become almost gunked up right? It gets kind of clogged up. This happens all throughout the body. It's why things like cholesterol can build up in the system, right? And so all of these kind of uh, compounding effects can change the, again, total stress load on the body that when we put alcohol in, we don't have the tolerance that we do because the body is working on so many other different things at the same time. So if we think about it, even from that hormone sense, right? Yeah. When our hormones are off balance and we put alcohol in, we are now trying to manage hormones and alcohol and and everything's already all thrown off, right? And that's where I'm like, I just keep going, of course we can get stuck in a drinking cycle. Yeah. Of course we get stuck in that cycle. Even just, I mean, and oh my gosh. And then we, yeah, like Mm -hmm. we can be in that place. um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, all the things that are competing and having to kind of like the stars have to align on in our bodies to make them work optimally and we come and we're gasoline literally like a and that's on oh my gosh yeah that's just, the fascinating thing about drinking as like a wellness interested yes. person right Cause it's like yeah. i'm doing all the right things and i could tell yeah. you this as being a practitioner working with clients for so many years it's like most people will come in, they're willing to take all the supplements, do all yep. the lab yes. tests, yes. do saunas, do all these extreme things. And you say, okay, well, now you're going to take away alcohol. And they go, oh, hell no. 
You can yeah. take, I actually, you can said, take my I actually leg. said that. I've actually said that to yeah. a yeah a nutritionist before. Yeah. I was trying to like, I went in, I wanted to lose baby weight and she was like telling me all the things and I was like, I'm not going to give up my wine. Just so you know, I'll do everything else. I'll yeah. spend all the money. Mm-hmm. I will do all the things. I will work out three mm-hmm. times a day, but I won't give up the wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. Because it's, it's an addictive substance, right? Yeah. That's the nature of the beast. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it's a challenging topic, but you know, I, and I was saying this to a client that I had in office here earlier. I've never met anybody who's regretted getting sober. Yeah. I've never met anyone who's uh-uh. said, oh man, no. I wish I drank at that wedding or I wish I had, <laughs> Yeah, I wish I was so hungover good. today. Like, you know, never. It, it's one of those things that, yeah, it's hard as heck to do. And it's not, you know, definitely not something that's easy by any stretch, but it is so worth it. And the benefits that you'll feel are are endless. Yeah, I love that so much. So Amen. for the list, say men, for the listener who's heard a bunch of amazing things, but feels totally overwhelmed, but it wants to know more, but all all of the things, what would be your your tiny Tina, your your small new action for for someone listening right now? Yeah, I love tiny Tina. I really love this little <laughs> tiny analogy. Tina. Put her in your pocket. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh, Tina Turner vibes. Like that'll get you through anything. You know, what I think I would share with the listeners, my tiny Tina, my tiny new action would be to just get connected to your body again. Um, yeah. You know, depending on where you're at in your journey yes. of alcohol free, sober, sober curious, you know, whether you're two days alcohol free or two years or, you know, just kind of start to to reconnect with your body. Because part of the the benefit of getting sober is we can actually like live in our body again when we're drinking yeah. a lot mm. we're very disconnected we're disconnected from our physical body so true and mm-hmm. we can and that happens throughout time like you could be two years alcohol free and then be like oh shoot i haven't like checked in with myself in a while and that's where some of those exercises of you know journaling your food for a couple of days or you know writing down and, and i have this in my my upcoming book you know it's not always just about journaling your food but journaling how you feel like today I feel really tired and maybe I'm feeling a little depressed today you know you know maybe I didn't poop this morning you know writing all those things down you start to be like wow I haven't really been paying much attention to my my own body right and that's the first step in a lot of these journeys toward better health and and identifying you know where do you want to go and how do you want to feel because if we don't recognize that we feel crappy, it's hard to say we want to feel better and to take those steps. I love mm-hmm. that you brought the body into this because I like just the thought of befriending the body, reconnecting mm-hmm. to the body when my body for so much of my life was the enemy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. instead, we have this opportunity. It's something I had to fix, solve, make smaller, tighter, restrict, you know, all the things. And yet we have this opportunity because our bodies are connected, whether we pay attention mm-hmm. to it or not to for them to be great allies in creating a space where we are living to our you know optimal and showing up the way we want to be yeah. showing up and feeling and, and to show up the way we want to show up we have to feel the way we want to feel to be able to do that and so yeah. inviting the the body to join us on this journey and yeah. help I mean that's the, the body's there to teach us like 
we need attention over here and yeah. here. This is yeah. I, I love I and love that have, as a you know, we have so much control over how we feel and we forget that. We mm-hmm. we definitely yeah, forget that when true. we're drinking. You know, we mm-hmm. we we forget that, you know, if we have crappy energy, we can do things to change that. We forget that, you know, if if our mood is low, we can do things to change that. You know, and, and it is sometimes just getting back into that practice of saying like, okay, how do I feel today? You know, physically, because we do, we check in with ourselves in a lot of ways and we're all, you know, we're waking up and jumping right on our computer and answering emails for everyone else. And we're not necessarily saying, well, what about like this body that I'm living in today? How is it feeling? How can I, how can I give it a little bit of love today so that I do feel, you know, better or as good as I can feel today? I love that. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Brooke. This was just so good. I'd love to have you on again because I feel like I have more questions, but tell everybody where they can find you, where they can get the book, which I can't wait to order and we'll put everything in the notes. Yeah. So I would love to come back on anytime. If you would like to, we can maybe plan it for when the book comes out. Yeah. Talk about some of the fun details in the book. But it is officially available for pre-order as of now. So you can find it on all of where books are sold. But also you can find it on my website at functionalsobriety.com forward slash book. Also on functionalsobriety.com, you'll find information about um, my programs, my online programs, my uh, individual coaching with me where we can do testing. And if you don't already follow me on Instagram at drbrookscheller. You can follow me for lots of fun tips and tricks and insights into a day in the life. I'm on some of these other social thread TikToks <laughs> and things, but I, you know, I'm like such a millennial. I can't, I can't get into the TikToks. Um, yeah, but, I can't either. I can't either. <laughs> I'm there. You I'm can so follow what I can't do any of it. <laughs> You're you not know, it's old. like every day there's a new social media platform and I'm yep. like, yeah. But if you are on Instagram, go follow Dr. Brooke because she is one of my absolute favorites and just such a wealth of knowledge. And every single time I read something from you, I'm like, oh, I wish I knew this, but I'm glad I know it now. But like, I wish yeah. I knew this back then. So yeah, I'm adding you. you. Must I have follow. Like five accounts that I go in and I, I look at and nothing else. And I'm adding you to that list. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel <laughs> hashtag <excited>. blessed. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Aww, Brooke. Such a rich conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I loved our conversation today and hope to be back soon. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com. And make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.